Alrighty, take your Bibles open to Romans chapter 1. In our last time together, we spent the morning looking at verses 18 through 20, where Paul mentioned the wrath of God. He mentioned why his wrath. And then lastly, specifically, wicked man or, or what specifically wicked man was denying in order to incur that wrath. Well, those three verses are actually the beginning of Paul's discussion on man's sinfulness. It's actually, believe it or not, not until chapter 3 that he will actually get into a full-blown discussion of the gospel. So the reason he spends so much time on this is truly because man needs to know, man needs to understand their sinfulness, their lost condition in the eyes of God of God before have any concern or any feeling any need for a savior. So many times people share a false gospel today where people don't even see a need for that. Why do I need I don't need religion in their mind, but they do need forgiveness of sins through Christ. And because of that, they need to understand their sinfulness. And therefore, Paul's going to spend almost two chapters laying out man's evil heart, his, uh, his opposition all to what is right and true in order to fully comprehend their current standing and therefore their desperate need of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And so for a little while, these Romans, just like you as well this morning, are going to hear an earful from Paul and how mankind desperately falls short of God's standards. And outside of his forgiveness, there will be eternal consequences. Well, as you know, uh, we started this study um, right here in chapter 1, verse 18. And if you remember uh, when he started with the words, the wrath of God, and and I'm, I'm really glad that Paul began with those words, because I'm sure then, no different than today, there were those people who just always say, God is love. That's it. And so for them, as well as us today, um, they needed to hear about this thing called the wrath of God. Okay? These people didn't quite grasp this. Yet, right here in verse 18, this wrath, it says, comes down from heaven, okay, which is obviously where God resides. And he says it is against the godless and wicked men that suppress God's truth. Man suppresses, or you can say man stifles the truth of God, folks, because it challenges their self-governing. We like self-governing, don't we? We do. Man loves their way. Man loves their own beliefs. Man loves their options more than anything that God can say. Man just loves things about themselves. Man loves darkness rather than truth. And therefore, as verse 19 said, even though God has made this truth plain to them, Okay, that word plain means apparent. It means obvious. You might think of a 12-year-old going, duh. (laughs) It's kind of that obvious, right? Yet they still would rather 
deny it. The world would still rather deny this truth, hop on the bandwagon of whatever is popular today, and follow the anti-science God of this world. Now, even though this mindset follows pretty much anything that has to do with God, people just want to rebel against all things God, we're told in this text here in Romans chapter 1 that what they are denying in a specific sense is God's revelation of himself in creation. Okay, As God created the heavens and the earth, he has revealed himself in his creation, the glory of all that he has created. We actually see that here in verse 20. It says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, which are, he says, his eternal power and divine nature, he says they have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made. To the point, he says, that men are without excuse. So he's saying here, since the day that God spoke the universe into existence, his hand, his, uh, his person, his invisible qualities, as Paul says right here, have been obvious, clearly seen, he says. So much is the creation that God has given. He says that man is without excuse. There is no excuse. The witness of God in nature, in creation overall, even in the universe itself, is so clear and so constant that ignoring it is indefensible. Natural revelation is sufficient to make man responsible. They cannot stand before God one day and simply say, gee, you know, God, I I had no idea. (laughs) I had no idea. And God says, I created everything you've seen, the trees, the grass, the mountains, the universe, the air you breathe, the soil that gives you food, everything, the universe, how the earth and all the stars, how they are in place. And you want to look at that and say, I I had no idea. I thought it just happened. You can't do that. God says man is without excuse. Now, all of this being said, folks, listen, this is important. They're rejecting mankind's rejection of God in his creation does not mean in this text that they have rejected Christ at this point. What they are rejecting is the light, if you will, that has been given to them, the light of creation. Remember, the Bible says, the heavens declare the glory of God not the gospel. The heavens don't declare the gospel. The heavens declare the glory of God, okay? One doesn't look at natural revelation and see the cross. Do you understand what I'm saying? But God has given man a beginning. To every person, God has given a revelation of himself through his creation, To quote one commentator, he says, Paul was not speaking about the saving knowledge of God, which comes only through faith, but of the intellectual knowledge of God, which comes to every human being through God's self-manifestation in his creation. 
Every person has a witness of God, and therefore every person is accountable to follow the opportunity to respond to him in faith. So God in himself, in his creation, opened the door. Here I am. I am God. I created all this. It's obvious. It's clear. You have no excuse. You should now pursue that light, that God that has created all this. That's why we call it the light of creation. Well, from here, folks, I would, I would like to move forward in our text and look this morning at verses 21 through 23. And so just remember, we're still in the same context, okay? We're still talking about, if you will, the same sinful men, okay? So starting in verse 21, it says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Folks, so as you can see, there's this continual mindset of the rejection of God even though he has revealed himself through his creation, okay? I just mentioned a minute ago uh, Psalm 19, verse 1, and this is really the same point that Paul is making here, which is why they always get tied together. He says, the heavens, right? Everything we see up there, the heavens declare, the heavens tell the glory of God. They don't tell the glory of chance. They don't tell the glory of karma or creation or protoplasm. They, look out at everything it tells of the glory of God who spoke it into existence. But remember the rest of the verse. It says, and their expanse is declaring the works of his hands. The works of the hands of God is what he's saying. Now, folks, the sad part is that even though this is the case, they keep showing this continued rejection, and it's actually showing the justification for God's wrath, which, you know, we talked about that in verse 18. It starts off this whole kind of a two-chapter point of man's sin. It's, it's showing why there is God's wrath because of what man does. Now, when Paul begins here in verse 21 with the statement, although they knew God, okay, you must do, folks, as I have always told you to do, and that is understand statements in light of the context. We talked about that this morning in our Bible study. Look at it within the light of the context. You can only just imagine how a bad teacher a bad Bible teacher could twist those words into its absolute sense. Well, they, they know God. It says right there, they knew God, right? You can, you can, they can look at it in its absolute sense. Well, Darren, they knew God. No, they didn't. Remember, folks, they knew God only in the context of him revealing himself through creation, Okay? 
They had a limited knowledge of God through natural revelation. That's what he means. So always understand when it says they knew God, they didn't know God like you know God. They knew God in the sense of how, how he has created. It's limited. But that's what they knew. Now, unfortunately, even though man is inherently conscious of God's existence, he's also inclined to reject that knowledge, as men do so often today. Which kind of reminded me this week as I was studying of Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, which says, The sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. Right? Like even God has revealed himself purposefully shown himself to sinful man, they say, uh uh-uh. But yet, it's like it says here, the sin nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, which is why if you go back to that text, you'll see what follows is an entire list of, of, of vices that proves the depravity of man because we always desire what we want instead of what God wants us to know. Man's tendency is to live and to respond as if Almighty God is nowhere in the picture. And the fact that we clearly know otherwise, verse 20 has told us that, God's visible creation is what makes mankind's actions all the more inexcusable. God didn't have to do that, but he did reveal his glory, his handiwork, the work of his hands in creation to say, wait a minute, there's something bigger than me. There's a God who created all this. But yet, nah, I don't want to go there. I want to think that nothing and nothing equals everything, which, by the way, takes more faith than it does to believe in a creator God. See, it's inexcusable. Notice in verse 21 again, it says this, For although they knew God, right, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. Folks, to know God in any amount, because this is obviously a limited knowledge when you think of knowing God through creation. This is a limited knowledge. This is not sitting down in a Bible study. This is not a theology class, right? It's God's creation. But to know God in any amount, here, of course, in his creative actions, should be to give him glory, should be to give him thanks, Thank God for the trees, the grass. Thank God for the soil. Thank God for the rain and the sun that produces the food that we eat. Thank God for the seasons and all these things you can thank the Lord for. That to you and me is just everyday things, but that's how God created it. We should thank God for that. It says we should give him glory. Folks, the purpose of which God created man is, to give him, is for us to give him glory. Did you know that? Isaiah 43, verse 7. But also in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, and I like this one because it actually speaks to our context. It says, You are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Listen, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So it specifically says, Lord, you created it all, and therefore you deserve, you should receive the glory and the honor and the power. 
But here in verse 21, this is the problem. Paul says, this isn't happening. It's not happening. To use Paul's word there at the end of verse 20, it's inexcusable to be in possession of the knowledge of God and not render glory and thanks as he deserves. It's inexcusable to look at all this and simply kick it to the curb, whatever. And even worse than that, folks, man will somehow end up filling that void and they will put someone or something in place of God's place. They'll fill that void of God with someone or something. And when they do that, that's what we know is idolatry. Once again, you step on this concept of Almighty God and you put something else there instead. A certain evolutionist, and I'm sorry, I do not know his name, but a certain evolutionist said, I refuse to believe in God so what other alternative do I have but evolution? I don't know if you caught that or not. But it, it, it wasn't all of the undeniable evidence for evolution that led him to refuse to believe in God. Did you catch that? But instead, it was his disbelief in God where he believes in evolution. He goes, I don't have any other choice. But it started with, I don't believe in God. And therefore, I'm going to believe in something so far-fetched, so outrageous. Instead, as I mentioned to somebody last week, it's like, it's like being on, on the Empire State Building and taking a thousand-piece puzzle, throwing it off the top of the roof, and when it hits the ground, it's all going to be put together. That may sound pretty bizarre, but that's the, that's the odds, or even worse, that evolution can take place the way that it's spoken of today. And so this man simply says, I, he starts it with, I don't believe in God. Even with the evidence, man refuses to believe in God and believes in something far worse, just bizarre, instead of giving glory to God. But before you say, okay, I get it, maybe, maybe I understand the wrath of God, <laughs> Paul isn't done just yet, okay? Continuing in verse 21, he now says, but, by the way, that's not a very good sign. That means it's going to get worse, okay? <laughs> but, after deciding to not pursue the knowledge that God gave them and then rejoy uh, rejecting the glory and the thanks that are due him, he says this, he says their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Folks, by the way, this is talking about the nature of man, okay? Now that word futile, says their thinking became futile, that, that word futile has a connotation of having no purpose. Aimless is what that means, Okay? Now, that, that word actually became a synonym for meaning empty, literally because it amounts to nothing. The New English Bible, that translation, literally translates it good for nothing. Their thinking is good for nothing. So he's saying when they think, when they ponder, it literally amounts to nothing. Their thinking, he says, is futile. It's aimless. It's empty. 
So being futile in their thinking, it's, it, it's almost like you and me saying today, where, where does that even come from? Have you ever, you ever listened to somebody who, who's, it's, their, their statement is just so bizarre, you're like, get this weird look on your face. Where, where did that even come from? It's, it's like one of those, those head scratchers, and you're listening to somebody and you're going, What? I mean, it's just, it just, it's so bizarre. It, it, if you've ever watched a political commentary of someone trying to defend the indefensible, you, you, you ever heard somebody like that? And you just sit here and go, you're defending the indefensible. I mean, the stuff they say, it's like Kamala Harris. It's like what they call a word salad. You, you ever listen to some of the things she says? You listen to 30, 30 words and you're going, what? What? But this is kind of that, that concept that they're talking about. It's meaningless. It's empty. Okay? Back in Romans, this is someone who is fueled by their fallen nature. There is no fruitful thought in anything they say. It's, it's horizontal, meaning it's man-centered. Okay? And therefore, it's void of any truth. And remember, folks, this is so important. When, when something has an absence of truth, it has to be nothing but false. When something is void of truth, something's going to fill that void. It has to be false. It's going to be nonsense. Contemplate that for a second. We don't always think that way. Pull the truth out of something. What do you got? What do you got? On this thought of being futile in their thinking, MacArthur says this. He says, to reject God is to reject the greatest reality in the universe. The reality which gives the only true meaning, purpose, and understanding of everything else. Refusing to recognize God and to have his truth guide their minds, sinful men are doomed to futile quests for wisdom through various human speculations that lead only to falsehood and therefore to still greater unbelief and wickedness. Just starts this train wreck, okay? Futile thinking embraces all of man's godless reasoning. If you listen to the news, if you read the news, if you do whatever in today's world, a lot of the things that are being said, you sit here and you literally scratch your head. That is, you're just kind of yelling at the TV. That's utter insanity. That's ridiculous. Because it leads to godless reasonings. So in their rejection of God, through their light of creation we see how it only goes downhill, little by little by little. They don't glorify God. They don't give him thanks. Their thinking is now futile. It's empty. It's useless. And lastly, here in verse 21, he says their foolish hearts are darkened. There's nowhere else to go, folks. Your foolish hearts are darkened. That's the pattern. That's, that's the route that these people take. To forsake the true God, not the God that you people create in their own head, but to forsake the true 
God means you have to accept lies. You have to accept hopelessness, meaninglessness. You have to. Instead of the light of truth, it's the falsehood of darkness. You have nowhere to go. Think of that mindset today. Just think of that mindset in our world. This is the first century, but think of that for us today. I could not imagine, folks, living in a world today without God through Christ. I just could not imagine that. I mean, the unmitigated nonsense that people hold to today and believe and push on everybody else. Folks, it is on every level is so ridiculous. It is so godless. It, it doesn't surprise me when the scripture says their hearts are dark. It's just, we sit here and go, what? It's, it's, it's not a political issue. You, it's, just a, it's just using your brain. You're going, what in the world? How, how can somebody even come to that conclusion? It's because their hearts are dark. They've taken this trek and it's continuing to go downhill. Listen, folks, when you reject God and therefore accept and follow the dictates of the world, the dictates of man, darkness is your only option. There's not pick one of the ten. <laughs> if you reject God, this is all you got, and that's the road you're going to take. That's the way you're going to think. That's the way you're going to act is down that dark road. Now, as we move forward, for those of us who know Christ, we hold to Scripture, we hold to what we call a biblical worldview. This next verse is going to make sense. It's very simple, it's very short. But verse 22 says, Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Oh yeah, they claimed to be wise, all right, but they became fools. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, Job 28, 28 says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Psalm 111, 10. The fear of the Lord teaches man wisdom, Proverbs 15, 13. Wisdom and knowledge, the fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure, Isaiah 33, 6. And folks, you can go on, there's lots of things in Scripture but it talks about that real knowledge, where it comes from, and real wisdom. You know, according to James chapter 3, there are two types of wisdom. There's true wisdom. You can just call it godly wisdom, real wisdom. And there's worldly wisdom, what the Bible calls so-called wisdom, the wisdom of the world. But he's saying here that God himself is the only true source of wisdom. You cannot reject him and have anything more than a worldly wisdom. A wisdom that is accepted by a depraved, godless society. There's nothing special, folks, about being a part of that kind of society and being called wise. <laughs> it's a worldly wisdom from a godless world. <laughs> when one rejects the only true source of wisdom, which is God, sure, there might be others 
who consider you wise, but it's only because they believe the same thing that you do. They fall into the same trap. They've rejected God. So sure, what big deal if they call you wise? You might be wise as it pertains to uh, a corrupt, ungodly culture. But the last time I checked, society, culture, isn't the standard for wisdom, is it? What the world says, three PhDs from some university, is not the standard for what true wisdom is. And God's word, secondly, says right here in verse 22, in reality, you're a what? A fool. You're a fool. And by the way, that word fool in the Greek, it's where we get our word moron. Moronic. That's where we get that word. It's never good in Scripture when you're called a fool. Never. But here's where, here's where it all starts, right here. This one verse, I'm going to give you, this is where it all starts. Psalm 14, verse 1. The fool says in his heart, what? There is no God. And that's where it begins. The fool, he's a fool. It is moronic to say there is no God. And sadly, the wise men of the world, folks, the wise men of the world are believed to be wise. You know why? Because they reject God. How sad is that? The wisdom of the world, look at this man. Let's hear him speak. Let's have him on my show. He's considered the wise man because he rejects God. <laughs> That's where we are. But here's the kicker. The mind that lacks God's truth, that lacks God's wisdom, has no way to distinguish between right and wrong, between truth and error, because they're missing the entire mind of God. They rejected that He even exists. They are a fool. And yet the world props them up. Sinful man says, listen to this. Now as we move to the last verse, verse 23, remember what I said earlier. Once a man rejects God, everything goes downhill from there, doesn't it? That's what the scripture has been talking about. Well, watch how this regression plays out. Okay, here's where the word fool, here's where the word moronic is going to come into play. I'm going to read verses 19 and then verse 20. Oops, I'm sorry. Wrong verses. I'm going to read verses 22 and then 23. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Here's why. Listen. And, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. God has shown them creation, shown them his glory. Visually, every man is without excuse, he says. And they say, I don't want to believe that. <laughs> but I'll believe something just ridiculous. Folks, here you have this principle that man has this need to recognize some kind of power in the universe that is greater than itself. Man has this need to fill that void that there's something 
greater than himself. But, but here is where the fool kicks in. I don't want to recognize and glorify the only true God who, according to verse 19, made it clear to me through his creation, but I'm more than happy to, to go to my workshop, to pull out a piece of wood and be like Jed Clampett, for the, you older folks, and be like Jed Clampett and whittle myself a bird or an animal or a reptile. And I want to call it God. Did you catch that? God says, here it all is. Here's a freebie. Here is what will draw you to myself. Look at my creation. No, no, I'd rather, I'd rather do this and say, <laughs> there's God. What? Break out your drill press and I can see Ken at the machine shop and say, oh, there it is. There's my God. Folks, this is the insanity that took place during the Exodus. Okay, remember the Exodus? Don't you dare, don't you dare do that. <laughs> You have 10 plagues. You have 10 plagues that God brought upon Egypt. Obviously, every single one of them, as you go back to the text, is from God. It's a no-brainer. 10 plagues that God just poured upon Egypt, one at a time. You have the parting of the Red Sea, right? Walls stopped flowing. It says they walked through on dry ground. You have the manna that fell from heaven. You have the quail. You have water from a rock. And all these different miraculous things that took place in front of their very eyes. They were part of it. And all of a sudden, just like that, Moses takes too long on the mountain. Just like that. Moses has been gone there just a little bit too long for me. And then from scratch, everybody tosses in their gold. They sit here and they mold this thing with their hands. They get it all figured out and then, you know, like Plato. They get it all worked out. There it is. It's a golden calf. There is the God who brought you out of Egypt. That God, so-called, wasn't even there five minutes ago. You just made it. You saw all the things that took place, all the miracles in front of your eyes when Almighty God led you out of Egypt and then right in front of your face, you mold together this, this golden calf and you say, there he is. And worse than that, Aaron then built an altar and the very next day they made sacrifices to it. You gotta be going, are you kidding me? Seriously, you just made the thing. That's the God who brought you. To, that's a bunch of gold you just threw to me and we melted it together. That's how bizarre that is. In Daniel chapter 5, Dave's not here so I can mention Daniel since he isn't teaching. In Daniel 5.23, Daniel is talking to Belshazzar, which is Nebuchadnezzar's son. He became the next king. And he's telling him what happened to his father when he did not humble himself. Do you remember that story? It's not a good one. He's grazing out there with the cows. His father did not humble himself. And so he says, Belshazzar wouldn't either. And then Daniel says this. He says, you have set yourself up against 
the Lord of heaven. You have the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives, your concubines, you drink from them. And then you praise the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron and wood and stone, which you cannot see, you cannot hear, and you cannot understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life. They take goblets out of the temple of the Lord, they use them, and they start praising the God of silver, the God of gold, the God of bronze, the God of wood. Instead of the Almighty God, who's just shown himself ridiculously over and over and over again. Now, folks, today we don't necessarily have a bunch of little gods like maybe might be mentioned here in our text. But man's rejection of God is still the same. Man's desire to not have God, to not have his standard, is still the same. False religions abound. False gods abound. And if that's not good enough, folks, man places himself on the throne, doesn't he? Absolutely he does. But going back to the text, in their spiritual blindness, in their intellectual darkness, in their moral depravity, mankind is by nature oriented to reject the powerful creator for that which he has created. Instead of looking at the Almighty who put it together, who created it, they look at the creation. Man so much hates God because of who he is and therefore what he stands for that as you've heard me say before, they will simply create a God in their own mind to think like they do. I can ask a hundred non-believers today and I probably get 75 different viewpoints the God that I believe, if I went up to him and told them about the God of Scripture, the holy God, Yahweh, well, the God that I worship is not going to kill people. The God that I worship would not send people to hell. The God that I worship, blah, 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 blah. And they keep going on and on. Because it's only what they think in their head. They create a God in their own mind to believe the same thing they do, right? My God believes what I believe. And folks, this is reality. Millions and millions of people hold to this today. The God that I worship believes this because that's what they want. The God that I believe uh, has no problem with my profanity, my stealing, my sex outside of marriage, my homosexuality, my picket, my thievery. He'll forgive me because I do good things too. You just, well, who are, they just create it. It's in their own mind because they hate the God of Scripture. So much so, as he says here, they hate the God who created everything to the point they will just flat out reject him and think the most bizarre things of evolution. The heart of man is dark. The heart of man is twisted. The heart of man is foolish. And as we continue in this text, starting next week, we're going to see the heart of man is perverted. A lot of words are used here in this text. 
impurity, perversion, shameful lusts, unnatural, indecent acts. These are all describing the one issue. It continues on the depravity of man. And we'll see that next week. But I hope, folks, as we continue this, like I said, it's going to go on a little while as he shows all this to understand man, the heart of man, and then certainly the glory of God and the gospel which he will, he will get into. I hope it encourages us to understand how maybe we used to think or maybe catch yourself still struggling with things, but maybe encourage you to help understand that, how people think, and how to share the gospel with them how to get them to understand the God who created them, the God who loved them enough to send Jesus Christ to die for them. Their sin is stopping them. They can believe everything they want. They can create themselves a bird, an animal. They can do uh, uh, idols. They can do all kinds of stuff. They can create things in their own mind. But all is real when they die. Everything becomes real. Every single person will bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one. And so I hope we realize that, understand what man thinks, what man comes from. And also it's a great opportunity to thank the Lord for, for who he made you today and thank the Lord that he changed your life. Because everything in there is us before Christ. Before Christ. So keep that in mind. Always find that place to thank the Lord for who he's brought you or how he's brought you to where you are today out of that lie. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you have blessed each and every one of us here with the understanding not only your existence, but of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for sending him to die to pay the price for our sin. As the song said earlier, he took our ransom. He paid the ransom for my salvation. He died on that cross. As I mentioned earlier, by his stripes, we are healed spiritually of our iniquities and our transgressions. Because, Lord, honestly, we have nothing to take pride in. We know we're no different than the, the text we've spoken on today. But, Lord, help us to have that understanding. And maybe it'll give us uh, a better way of looking at the lost to understanding the lost even more and maybe be able to how to share with them the gospel of Christ that would appeal to them. Because sometimes, the, even though the gospel is the same, it doesn't change. How we phrase it, how we talk to people may help them. So help us, Lord, as we spend the weeks ahead looking at the sinful, perverted, shameful lives in the hearts of man and hopefully be encouraged to, to share the good news with these very people. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.